one today. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, uh, my wife Jen has taken me down uh, on Santa Fe. And on Santa Fe, there's a certain uh, street or there's a certain part of the, uh, the street called the Art District. And they have these incredible murals. Uh, and they are, uh, they are just fantastic. You know, um, they, they express all manner of points of view on things. Um, and the reason I thought of that just now is that, that John's gospel uh, is very much like an artistic mural. Whereas the, the other three gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, are very um, historically minded. Uh, and they're written to tell uh, straight up facts and they are in timelines and help us to see uh, the historical Jesus in history. Uh, John, while he he includes facts, he paints like an artist. And it's never more evident in his gospel as he begins it uh, and how he starts it. We're going to read uh, John chapter 1, <clears throat> verses, excuse me, <coughs> verses 1 through 18. And as you uh, hear it, I want you to... Think artistically. Think in terms of, of bright colors and, and broad strokes and interpretation, uh, not just in words that uh, make sense in, in logic, but emotion and feeling. Think of these as I read these words to you this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in, he was with him in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came bear to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born of blood, but for the will of, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, but of, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was of he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Christmas is a weird holiday at times. And I say that not, not to disparage uh, Christmas at all, uh, but it's just an odd holiday at times. One thing I noticed in the scripture this morning is if we, if we take this passage to be very much like uh, a Christmas story from another point of view, what I notice here is that it very much actually describes kind of the state of Christmas in our own culture. It says here, the true light which gives every, light to everyone was coming into the world. And while he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Uh, we've been walking through different stores, uh, preparing ourselves for Christmas and buying things and that sort of 
uh, activities, and I'm sure you guys all participated in the same way. And if I ask you the quintessential Christmas song, most of you, or some of you might, you know, give some of the old standards, O Come All Ye Faithful, The First Noel, Silent Night. But many of us would think of Mariah Carey's All I Want From Christmas Is You. That's the song. And it's fascinating to me that it has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus at all. Now, this isn't to despair that song because it's, it's a great song and Mariah Carey's a fantastic singer. But it reminds me of this word here just a little bit. His people did not receive him. In the same way, Christmas in our culture has become far less about the birth of Jesus and far more about joy and peace. And, and all those things are good. But the author of peace, the author of salvation, the author of restoration with God, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. He gets relegated to the small little manger in your house with a nativity scene. I don't want to disparage that much more, but it just, it's just something I noticed as I was reading it this week. And the other thing I noticed about this is that this passage, these 18 verses at the beginning of John's, of John's gospel, um, I've noticed that they are like going to a fantastic fancy buffet. Not like, you know, Furs Cafe or, you know, going down to Golden Corral. This is like going to a, like a fancy hotel buffet. This is a theological uh, smorgasbord, and it is hard to pick out just the one thing to talk about. And so this, this week, as I was perusing through the scriptures and studying it, trying to figure out it, uh, what to talk about, I had to pick one thing. And we're going to focus this morning specifically on verses 14 through 18. So let's look there this morning. And I think that God really wants us to focus in on one thing. And that's Jesus has made God known. Jesus himself has made God known. It says this right here. For the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. And if we go to the very end at uh, verse 18, it says, uh, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus came to make God known. So what does this mean? Well, if we look at the very, kind of in the beginning, it explains everything. It says that the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. Jesus is called the Logos, the word. But what does that mean to us? I think if we break it down just a little bit, it means that simply that Jesus is the divine expression of the unseen God. Jesus is what God is like. See, John calls Jesus Logos here, and it simply does mean the divine expression. If I was to say the words or uh, mention the uh, Pavarotti to you, the opera singer, many of you would, uh, would immediately think of a voice. You would think of the amazing pipes on this guy, or to even say it a little bit differently, if I was to say Michael Buble, who is one of my favorite singers of all time, you think of that crooner voice, or Frank Sinatra. You think of this amazing uh, ability. And in the same way, when we say Jesus, we think of God's exact expression of himself. Later on in some of the other epistles, uh, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the exact representation of God himself. And here when he says that the Word was with God and the Word took on flesh, it means that God himself poured uh, himself into uh, the confines of humanity in the person of Jesus. 
We want to know what God is like. Jesus is the divine expression of all that God is. He's, he's the exact expression of God's eternality, his always has beenness, his exact creativity. Through Jesus, all things were spoken that were not made, he made them. That's amazing. When God said it, it's his words and, uh, were Jesus, and they brought things into being mountains and trees and platypuses and gnats and, and shoelaces and trees, leaves and, and all manner of, of things, cottonwoods. All that creativity, all that amazingness comes out of God as an expression of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's also amazing here that we see that God himself is also relational. That it's within himself, himself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in this amazing relationship uh, that Jesus himself represents all of that in himself. God's word is expressed uh, uh, to us through Christ. But what I find it's interesting here is that God's word is expressed first within the law given through Moses. We notice it says that here, it says that while the law of Moses uh, came and explained some things, but it explains God's holiness, his otherness. It's, it's summed up uh, in the Hebrew prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And if we look at God's law <clears throat> to the Israelites, we notice here that the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. He says, beyond me, there is nothing else. God is wholly other. And his essence really cannot be captured in any created thing. And so, therefore, we can't make anything to worship because God himself is invisible and his greatness and his, his eternality, his creativity, and his relationalness cannot be summed up into a created thing. That God is other. He is worthy of our worship and he's worthy of our devotion and adoration for his love and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and his sustaining power. But he's also worthy of our holy reverence for that power and his justice and his holiness. But what we notice here is that while he expresses himself in the word itself, in the law, and we learn more about who he is and how to relate to him, we notice here that, as John says, that Jesus comes and he expresses God's loving kindness. It says that full of, uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth. When we say grace, we don't just mean that he doesn't fall over his shoelaces, but rather that he is the loving kindness of God, the, the divine expression of God's unearned favor and kindness. It's interesting to note that uh, in the book of Isaiah, the Messiah is called Emmanuel, God with us. And where most religions are systems that are built to approach God and earn his favor, Christianity, rather, is built on God's self-giving favor towards humanity. In other words, God comes to us. We did not go to God to receive the law, but God's law came to us through Moses, and then God's grace comes to us through Jesus. See, it's God himself who comes to us rather than us going to him. See, the word, the divine expression of the one true God, the holy God, became flesh and dwelt among us. See, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, emptied himself and took on human form. God himself came near and has made himself knowable for our sake. And then the invisible God became visible in Jesus. John says, we have seen his glory. 
his awesomeness, his royalty, his majesty. As I've said before, Jesus is exactly what God is like. And God is exactly what Jesus is like. But lastly, it's important to notice here is that not only did, the, did, did God reveal himself through his law and he revealed himself in Jesus and his grace, but also that Jesus is truth. Jesus is the reality of God, the divine expression of truth of God's being that he is. I love that, that Christmas commercial with M&Ms and they're walking around going, does, uh, does Santa exist? And the, and the one M&M says, the other M&M says, I don't know, I've never met the guy. And then they run into Santa Claus right there on, in the, the thing, and they both pass out. They go, they do exist, and they both fall down. You see, truth in the New Testament expresses not just the validity or the factualness of something. Rather, it is, uh, expresses the unveiling or the revelation of a hidden reality, the true essence of something. And Jesus here is the one who unconceals the reality of God. He makes the unknowable knowable. One of the uh, uh, commentaries I read had this quote. It says, Jesus possesses the truth in its fullness. It reveals and transmits and it explicates it. He is the supreme revealer, unveiling and manifesting divine secrets. Jesus is made, makes God knowable. Jesus explains God. I think one of the greatest questions that humanity has had is, are we alone in the universe? And, and Jesus answers that question and says, no, you're not alone. And Jesus has come to make God known. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as with any good story, and, uh, there, there is what it means, but what do we do with it? The question becomes this morning, what does God want us to do with this good news? Well, John gives us at least three things here this morning, what we ought to do. And it says it up here, it says, For those who did receive him, who believed in his name. I think the first and foremost thing to respond to the fact that Jesus makes God knowable is for us to believe it, to place our faith in him to trust the accounts written in the scriptures, to trust the witnesses who saw him, who experienced him, who dwelt, he dwelt with them and they dwelt with him. You see, John wrote his gospel so that we might be able to place our whole self-trust in Jesus, to align our very lives to his and trust that his work for us in his life, death, and resurrection, his uh, making God known to us, we might say yes to him. We might believe in his name that we might have life and life to the fullest. God wants us to trust that Jesus is the exact representation of his nature, the divine expression of himself, and that he has come to make God knowable. We ought to trust that. But secondly, John tells us here this morning that we ought to also receive him as well. We need to receive God's what God promises to us when we accept him when we say yes to him we receive God's promised family it says here very clearly that for all those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God now this is important because he's actually telling us that we can be on the same familial level as Jesus the son 
and that we are all captured together within that same relationship that God has with the Son, and that we can relate to God as Jesus relates to God. When we align ourselves to God and believe in the message, we become, uh, in a sense, uh, God's children, and then we can relate to them. We can relate to God through Jesus. He gives us the ability to relate to God as Father, to participate in relationship with the Trinity, as if we were uh, the uh, sons and daughters of God. But lastly, so if we believe that who Jesus is, and he has made God known, and we receive this new uh, relationship with God, this familial relationship that we can approach the Father as a child. Just like John, uh, the Baptist here, as he's talked about it, we are to be witnesses to that. Now, a witness doesn't mean somebody who's going and knocking on doors necessarily. It doesn't mean somebody who's standing outside with a, uh, the end is near a sandwich board. It doesn't mean an obnoxious believer, somebody with the annoying of God rather than the anointing of God. But it, a witness is just somebody who tells the truth. A witness who simply says, I know what I know and I know what I've seen and I know what I've experienced. It reminds me of a story in the Gospel of John where uh, there's a blind man who's been healed he says, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. A witness is simply somebody who tells the truth. And it's important for us as a church to be a witness, to be those who point to the reality of Jesus, to point to the reality of God, the divine expression of himself, to simply say, I know what I have seen. I once was lost. And now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We are to be the people of amazing grace. I love that song, and I think that if, as soon as that song gets played anywhere, I don't care what country you're in, everyone stops. That song, Amazing Grace, is a witness. It's a witness to the amazing love of God, who gave His one and only Son that you and I might have life and life to the fullest. And as a church... We are to be a people who point to Jesus, the divine expression of God, who makes God knowable and approachable. We don't have to be pushy or obnoxious about it, but just simply say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is my story. This is my song. Praising the Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. That's a witness. So, this is God's word to us this morning. In your mission, should you choose to accept it, it just kind of depends on where you are. Maybe you're walking down the road of doubt. Maybe you're in a place where you're just not quite sure about what, what this whole God stuff. Maybe you're in a place of a uh, 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 fog that just says, I, God, it just seems so absent from me. And then he just seems so distant. And I can't make heads or tails. Let the story of God in Christ assure you that God has made himself known and that through the words of scripture you might have your faith reinvigorated that you might be able to believe again to trust that he is who he says he is and he loves you maybe you haven't begun to learn how to relate to God in in a way uh, uh, that is like a child uh, to a father Maybe you've been treating God as an angry ogre or somebody that you're just really afraid of. Somebody who seems like more like a petulant child than a loving God. But the scriptures this morning hopefully have changed your perception. 
and that you can begin to relate to God and receive uh, your sonship and daughtership into his holy family and begin to relate to him in a new and intimate way. But maybe you you believe and you've received and you're just holding back a little bit that sometimes when you have the opportunity to share your faith in a loving and kind and respectful way, you kind of chicken out. I'd have been there. I've done that. Maybe God wants to give you the power, the ability to just simply say, I know who Jesus is and he loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you're in any of those places this morning, I pray that God would strengthen you in your innermost person.